are recording. We are live. This will go on the podcast. Everything you say will be held against you in shul. Okay. So we're sharing the screen. We are doing the story of the binding of Isaac. Why are we doing the story of the binding of Isaac? It's not the Parsha of the week. What's going on? The answer, of course, is this is the reading for the second day of Rosh Hashanah. Second day of Rosh Hashanah, this is where we're going to read in the Shul. And the reason that we read it on the second day of Rosh Hashanah is because on Rosh Hashanah we blow the shofar. And one of the things that the shofar does is it reminds us, it reminds God, so to speak, of what happened when he asked Abraham if he'll sacrifice his son. And Abraham said yes. Now what does that do with the shofar? Because at the end of the story, as we'll see, God says, no, I didn't mean for you to slaughter your son. I just meant to raise him up on the altar and now take him down. And after that, God provides a ayal, a ram that's caught in the thicket with his horns. And Abraham sacrifices the ram that was caught in the thicket instead of Isaac. And so the ram's horn is reminiscent of the whole story of Abraham's and Isaac's willingness to give their lives, to give the life of his son for for God. And this is what we're evoking on Rosh Hashanah, the merit of our great ancestors in, 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 uh, in bringing that up and bringing that up to ourselves, reminding us of who we are, what's in our DNA as a extra, extra boost, extra boost of blessing and merit on the day of Rosh Hashanah. So that's why we are studying this particular portion at this time. Let's jump in. It was after these things. Now Rashi doesn't interpret Dvarim as things. He interprets it as words. We're going to see Rashi doesn't have after these things, but actually after these words. Because Dvarim can either mean things or means words. According to Rashi, it means words. And we'll see what those are. I'm going to read in the tune that we, special tune that we read on Rosh Hashanah. And God, He tested Abraham, Nisa means to test. He said to him, Abraham, he said, Abraham. And what does Abraham respond? Famous word, Hineni, which is one Hebrew word that translates to here I am. And Rashi will tell us what here I am means. It's not just I'm here. It's not giving the location, the GPS. It's talking about I am here to serve you. It's an expression of what can I do for you? I'm ready to serve you. I'm at your service. That's Hineni. It's a very famous expression, Hineni. In fact, our architect suggested that we have that on top of our ark. Non-Jewish architect, Bill Bondi. He said, why don't we put Hineni up on top? He didn't win that one, but it was a good idea. All right, let's see what Rashi tells us. Before we get to Rashi, anyone have any comment? Shauna, I see you, your lips moving, but I don't hear a voice. I'm not. I always have a comment. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I'm not sure what you... Can I have a hint? <laughs> no, that, I'm, I'm not saying that I oh, expect you to have a question. I'm just oh, okay. opening it up for questions. And hello, Rob, and hello, Brad. Well, it's also here... 
and the, and I am. I am is such a powerful, just those two words together. So there could be, there probably is a whole class around just here I am. Or here I am, trying to do the best I can. And tomorrow, my joy and sorrow all comes from you. That's Moshe Yes from the Magama. That's a great point. I am is you're right. You could do a whole class on Hineni. Here I am. It's a it's an excellent, excellent point. Okay, let's keep going. Let's look at Rashi. I'm going to be reading on the Hebrew. You're welcome, of course, to look on the English side. And if you can follow the Hebrew, good. If not, also good. So Rashi is dealing here with the question, as I alluded to earlier, after which words? Again, according to Rashi, this is a mistake. It's not after these things, but after these words. Which words? What happened that triggered, right? So it came to pass after these things. Torah is not just telling you when it happened. It's telling you that these things led to this story. So there's a debate among our sages of the Talmud and the Midrash. Some say that the words that the verse is talking about are the words of the Satan, known in English as Satan. Sounds a lot scarier in English because you get the Christian ideas of a Satan, which is kind of doing his own thing. The Satan in Judaism is a servant of God whose job it is to be the prosecutor, to, 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 um, to tempt the, the person to sin, and then when he does, to go and, and uh, prosecute against him and maybe execute uh, the judgment. But he's also looking for things to say negative. And those things have to be taken into account because they're based on some the, the rule of judgment. So what was the Satan saying? He was saying, He was accusing and saying that from all the meals and feasts that Abraham made, he only brought... Um, he did not sacrifice one bull or one ram. He didn't bring any sacrifices to you. He made all these parties, Abraham, but he forgot about you, God. He didn't bring any sacrifices. So Amar Loi, God says to him, Klum All of this, all these parties that he made, this is after uh, Isaac is born, right? So all of this he did. Does he do anything but for his son? God is saying to the Satan, what's the most precious thing to Abraham? You're telling me that he doesn't want to give up a, a, an ox or a ram. I'm telling you the most precious thing that he has, which is his child, everything he will do, he'll do for his child, for his son, born to him in old age when he was 100 years old. If I ask him for a son, he would not withhold him. So that's after the words, after these words, it's the words of the Satan that triggered this event that God goes and tests Abraham to prove to the Satan Abraham's dedication to God. And some people, some of the rabbis say, that it comes, it's triggered after the words of Ishmael, the half-brother of Isaac and the son of Abraham. What happened? Yishmael was priding himself over Isaac and saying, He was saying, Ishmael said, I had my circumcision when I was 13. And I didn't, I didn't refuse. I didn't complain. And Isaac, he says to him, ah, 
You had your circumcision when you were eight days old. Nobody asked you. Nobody asked your opinion. They, they, you didn't have any choice in the matter. So I'm greater than you because I, I was already an adult. I was 13 years old and I agreed to have a circumcision. So it was like one of these, uh, you know, I'm better than you contests that kids sometimes have. And adults, more subtly. Omar lo Yitzchok. So Yitzchok said, Be'evor echad atamiyareni. The argument that we're having over the sacrifice that you had or I had is just over one organ, reproductive organ, where the circumcision occurs. If God would told me, not just to give up one organ, but to give my entire self for, for God, I would not hold back. I would not refuse. And so because he said that, the, the implication seems to be God actually puts that to the test and shows, in fact, Isaac's, uh, uh, um, Isaac's willingness to give his life. I want to pause it for a second. And here I do have a, a question that I, um, I, want, to, I want to see what, what you think. What is the... Well, let me open it up. What are your thoughts on this Rashi? You don't have to have a thought on it. Don't feel guilty if you don't have one. If you have a thought that came to you, please share. Yes. Okay, so um, how come uh, Rashi doesn't uh, just say, you know, after these things, referring back to the previous uh, Parsha where there was a lot of activity, a lot of sturm and drawing in, uh, in Abraham household and... Uh, well, that's a great question. Let me look back at what happened. So there was a whole, what, what immediately happens just before the story of, that we're reading now, and um, I'm getting a little bit of feedback, so I'll, I'll put you on mute, is that there is a covenant that is made between Elimelech, the king of the, the Philistines, and Abraham. So perhaps... But if you just look at that and you say, well, what does that have to do? Why, why would, why would the, the God's request to bind up Isaac on the altar, why would that be something that would trigger the, the test? Uh, it would be triggered by the story of, of, of Elimelech because that's what's immediately before it. So that's a great point, Fabius Yankel, that you're raising is that it's clear that Rashi is addressing it because clearly what's happening before doesn't seem to be the trigger. If we go back one more, Aliyah, um, and this is going to be actually be the reading from from the um, of the first day of Rosh Hashanah. It starts over here, Genesis chapter twenty-one, when 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 Abraham is born, when Isaac is born. That's the first day of Rosh Hashanah, and we learned this in the Code of Jewish Law that the reason we read this on the first day of Rosh Hashanah is that's when um, Sarah conceived. Isaac. So we have the story. This is what we're going to read in the first day of Rosh Hashanah. Is he has the child? There is a bris that takes place, and then you have the story of, um, you know, Sarah was laughing. And then you have the story of the battle between Yishmael and Isaac. That Yishmael is trying to usurp Isaac, and God tells Abraham, "Listen to Sarah. You got to put your foot down. Isaac is the real ear, not not Yishmael." And then we get to the story of. The peace uh, treaty between Abimelech and the king of Philistines and Abraham, 
And then we get to the story of Yachad Varmela. So they, it's good. We, we look back and we see the context of where this comes in. Now we understand why Rashi is wondering, hey, what's after these things? What's, what's, connect, what's the connection? Thank you for raising it. Did anyone else have a comment on what we read so far in Rashi? Hello, All right. Let's go ahead. Hello. Hello. Yo, Mike. Hi. Uh, looks like the rabbis who is uh, telling the story about Satan is almost uh, very, uh, very similar to the story of uh, Job. You know, you know, Satan was accusing him. You know, then uh, from the book of Job. You know that uh, again, it's like you know what he can sacrifice. You know, he lives with life, but he can sacrifice and. It's probably kind of, I, I can see a similarity in this approaches, you know, here. Interesting. It's a good, good parallel. Thank you. Uh, along, the, along the same lines, doesn't Joe bring, I mean, the obvious question, well, why did Abraham says, you promised me that I'd be a, a, a father of a multitude of nations, and here you're killing my own, you're going to ask me to kill my one and only son. What's going on, God? You know, I mean, that's, that's what I would ask. But interestingly, Abraham doesn't uh, ask. Why doesn't he ask the question, you know? Yeah, that's very striking because uh, to just build on your question, when Abraham hears that the that the the land of Sodom is going to be destroyed, what does he do? He doesn't just say, all right, God, right. no, yeah, no yeah, problem. Yeah, precisely. I mean, I, I did, yeah, right. I mean, here he kind of stands up for people that's not related to him, you know? Right. And he, right. he goes on to kind of have a whole dialogue with God, you know, about this. Exactly. And here he says, Hineni, here I am. And he, and he doesn't, he gets up early in the morning. So that's a great question. And I guess we had to come to it eventually. <laughs> so why not get to it on the first verse? I think that the answer in short is that Abraham didn't look at this. Uh, if God is asking him to give his son as a sacrifice, he didn't look at it as a punishment. Right? The story with Sodom is God is angry so to speak, or, you know, the, the people of Sodom have sinned and now they've incurred the wrath of God or they've incurred the punishment. And so Abraham sees it as his role to step up and say, hey, God, these are your creatures. Um, you know, let's see what we can do. Maybe we can work something out. But that's very different here. God is not saying he's punishing Isaac or punishing Abraham. He's asking for a sacrifice. I mean, it's not easy. Obviously, it's a test, but he, it's not, he doesn't see it as a... It's not a bad thing that's happening to, to Isaac. It's a, it's a difficult thing. It's a challenging thing, but he doesn't see it as a negative. It's a sacrifice to God is, in a way, something very, very lofty. And, it, 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 and don't you think he had an obligation to say, look, sir, you know, I, I, this is what God asked me to do. I mean, it's just like, you know, it's it just like, you know, he's just doing this, I mean... Right, so he... Just in Sodom, he's not questioning God, right? When, right. When, you know, when it comes to, when it comes to the, the great uh, rabbis and, and uh, prophets who challenge God, it's always when there's some kind of punishment that is coming. So this is like, you know, we've talked about with the, with the golden calf, right? So Moshe comes to a, God and says, yeah, don't destroy the people. I know you're angry and da, 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 da. And the same thing we had with Sat, with uh, with Elijah the prophet, and so forth. And what we what we've explained in the past is that it, the the great metaphor that Rashi actually quotes regarding the golden calf is: let's say the king is angry at his son. The son 
committed some kind of a crime. And the king says, we got to punish, the, the, the boy has to be punished. The kid has to be punished. And he, the, the, the king has two advisors, two friends. And one friend says, yes, he sinned. Let's punish him. I'm with you. Throw him in the dungeon. But the real friend of the king says, king, let's, let's, do, something. let's, let's do something. I think we can, we, can, we can work on this kid. We can, in other words, the, the, the true friend gets to what, what the king really wants. The king is expressing judgment in God's case, he's saying, this is, what, this is what they deserve. And it's almost like, as we see with, with Moshe, where God says, leave me alone. Don't argue with me. Which is really God's invitation to Moses and say, I want you to argue with me. I want you to stand up for the Jewish people. It's part of this process to say, they deserve to be destroyed. They've committed such a horrible sin of worshiping the golden calf within 40 days of just hearing, seeing God and hearing God say, don't worship idols. And God is saying, this is what they deserve, but as you, as their leader, Moshe, it's actually your job to stand up for them, to argue for them. Just like the good friend of the king who really loves the king is not just going to listen to the king, he's going to argue with the king and say, you know, what, what the king really wants, which is for the son to live and to, and to, uh, and to repent. And so, but, so here it's a whole different story because it's nothing to do with punishment. Abraham doesn't question God. If God says this is what he, what he needs and this is what is supposed to be done, uh, again, it's a challenge, but it's not viewed as a punishment, and therefore there's no reason that you don't have that, that dynamic where he would argue with God uh, as he would in the case of a punishment. But, he's, but from his understanding, he's to sacrifice his son. Right, right. And, but again, he's, he, his faith in God is such that since God is not saying this is a punishment, he understands that this is, this is what God, God wants. And Abraham is a servant of God. And despite how difficult it is, he doesn't question God that this is the right thing to do. Because if this is what God said to do, it must be. Again, it's only where there's some kind of a punishment for someone where the prophets will go in and try to second guess God because not really second guessing God. It is doing what God wants them to do, which is to stand up for his children or stand up for his, his, um, his creatures when they have sinned and seem to be to need to be punished. That's the job of the of the prophet of the Jewish leader to stand up and say no, as a friend of God. But in this case, since it's not a punishment, then the default is that he's a servant of God. This is what God said to do, and he's he's an absolute, uh, like it says, he's the Merkava. He's a, he's a chariot of God. Whatever God says to do, he does. And so it's a it's it's an expression of his great faith in God that even though it's giving up his his own son, he understands that this is important. This is this is a part of God's plan. This is how he understands it. Okay. So it's an excellent question and I'm sure we'll get deeper and deeper into it because really this is the tension of the whole story. It's like, do you listen to God in such a situation? It's, a, it's, hard, it's hard to fathom. It's hard to fathom. But I wanted to point out something just more, more uh, almost technical in a way. The difference that I saw between these two interpretations of Rashi is that according to the first interpretation it's really about abraham it's really a test for abraham right satan is saying oh abraham he doesn't really care about you god and god says oh let me show you look he's willing to sacrifice his own child and the second one is more about isaac not abraham is will isaac be willing to give up his life 
where Ishmael was taunting him and saying, oh, you didn't really do any self-sacrifice with the bris, with the circumcision, because you were just a baby. And he's gonna, God is going to show that Isaac is willing to give up his life. So Rashi presents it as two different interpretations, and you might say one and not the other, but the way we understand when you have two different opinions, they're both correct. And so the, what we, I'm getting from this first Rashi is, <laughs> hello Yaakov, uh, is that it's both a test for Abraham and a test for Isaac. I mean, it's, it's a greater test for Abraham, of course, because we've had people in, throughout history who have given up their lives for God. But they, to actually take the life of one's child for God, that's a different story, although that has happened as well. Uh, and that's considered a much greater sacrifice. It's considered the sacrifice of Abraham. But truly, Isaac is is uh, stepping up to the altar, <laughs> to the plate, very much in this story as well. All right, let's keep going. Hineni, the word, the big word, I am. Kahi aniyosem shel chasidim. This is the response of chasidim. What are chasidim? The pious. Loshin anovahu veloshin zimun. It's an expression of humility and an expression of of readiness. And I think that gets to, Brad, what we were talking about is, who is Abraham? Yes, he argues with God, but ultimately he's a chassid. He's a pious person. His whole life is around God, as a servant of God. His own identity, his own ego, there's no ego there, is what does God want? And therefore, he was, a chassid is someone who goes beyond the letter of the law, right? That means that he's living his life kind of in a, in a way that's beyond nature. It's like he doesn't have his, his own agenda in life and he also serves God right because you can be a tzaddik which is a perfectly righteous person but it's not your whole life you have something that is not uh, being a servant of God you have your own your own little identity there a chassid is all identity is servant of God and therefore what does he respond when God says when God asks him for something when God calls upon him his, his answer is hineni humility and readiness because if you're not a chassid meaning you're not on that very high level yes Yaakov how can I help you? I know what hineni means you know what hineni means? well come on the camera please come in can't see you because we have the blur on what does hineni mean? hineni means here I am how do you know that? from a video from a video? <laughs> which video? Antovito Vito. do you remember which video it is? yep which video? I know you don't know. Do you know the name of it? Yep. What? Secret? You forgot? Very good. Let's give Yaakov a round of applause for knowing that Hineni means here I am. I'm very proud of you. Okay. And you want the iPad? Oops, I outed you. Um, I think you can't go on the iPad because it's already past 6.30. Even though I'm giving my class, I still can't give you the iPad. Well, I'm going to text people. You're going to text people? Who are you going to text? People. People? <laughs> you got people? Mm. My people will be in touch with your people. No, we can't. You remember, we're done. We're done with it. Now uh, I, I need to go back to the classes. A very, very, a lot of people waiting. Okay, sweetie? I'll talk to you later, sir. Well, that's wonderful. Yaakov, I was expecting him to say he learned it in school, but he learned it from a video, even better. 
I think that this, this Rashi gives us, in a way, the secret of the whole thing, which is, who is Abraham? Abraham is a person whose whole identity is a servant of God. And this is why he responds in Nani. You know, again, you could be a very, very religious person, right? He keeps all the mitzvahs, he studies Torah all the time, but still, his, his being is not 100% ready that when God says, I need something, he drops everything. It, it, there's, there's a process, okay? There's a, there's a calculation. The, the cogs in the, in, the, in the brain start moving. All right, God wants something. Okay, let me hear what it is. He may end up doing it, but it's a process. There's something that needs to be overcome. There's a, there's a um, disparity between who he is and what God wants. And he may ultimately do what God wants. But with a chassid, there's no, there's no break over there. There's no, there's no uh, pause. There's no delay. There's no delay. It's like, God wants it, I'm in. This is what's happening. Let's do one more verse, then we'll open it up to more comments. God says, Take, please. The word no means please. God's asking him, please, do me a favor. Es bincha, your son. Es yechidcha, your only son. Ashera hafta, that you love. Es yitzchak, Isaac. Very interesting, right? God could have just said, in the interest of an efficient short sentence, as they taught us in writing school, to keep it short. Should have said, kach no, Take Isaac. How many Isaacs were there in the, around? Could have said, your son Isaac. Maybe it was a different Isaac hanging around. But just say, take your son Isaac. There's a lot of extra words here. Your son, your only son, whom you love. Yitzchak, Rashi will address it. V'lech and go for you. And you'll remember, this is the first words that God says to Abraham. Is lech And here we're seeing it again. And as I mentioned in the teaser for the class, this is the 10th test that Abraham is getting from God. The first test is when he says, I want you to go and leave your land and go towards the land of Israel. The land that I will show you. And in the final test, it's again, Lech Lecha, go to you. Eletz Hamoidiyah, where do I want you to go? I want you to go to the land of Moriah. Vahaleyu Shomla Oilo, and I want you to bring him up as a sacrifice, a burnt offering. An ola is a type of sacrifice where the whole thing is burnt on the altar as opposed to other sacrifices where the owner has eats part of it. Al-Akhadaharim, on the car of the Kohanim, on one of the mountains, Asher Oimar Elecha, that I will tell you. And there's another parallel here between when God first tells him, go for you to the land that I will show you. He doesn't tell him which land. Here also, there's a little bit of vagueness uh, where he says, the, land, the one of the mountains that I will tell you. But here at least he tells him which land it is. It's the land of Moriah. By the way, we also have over here, Vahaleu, raise him up, bring him up. Doesn't say to slaughter him. It just says bring him up. And we'll see later on. God says, I never said you should slaughter him. You should have read the fine print. It just said bring him up. So now bring him down. Okay, let's see Rashi. Kach no, ain no, ela loshim The word no 
as we said, means a, a, a request. It's a, it's a please. It means please. God is asking him, like, not just commanding him. He's asking him, please. Why is God, why is God like, so invested that he's asking, please, I, I'm asking you to do this. Says Rashi, God said to him, I'm asking you, I'm beseeching you, Abraham, don't fail this test. Pass this test. Withstand this test. Why is God so interested for him? What will be if he'll fail the test? And he'll say, no, I'm not doing it. Then give him a different test. No. So that they should not say, People should not say, it shouldn't be in the front page of the, uh, the uh, Hebron Times that Abraham failed the test. I don't want people to say that. Why? They're going to say that the first nine tests that Abraham had, Loi ben Mamish did not have substance. If you fail this 10th test, God says to Abraham, people are going to say that those other tests that were so impressive that Abraham passed the nine tests, eh. It was, it was nothing. What's the proof? Because this 10th test, he failed. Now, there's a question you should have on that, which is, well, if your kid comes home and he got a 90 on the test, he got one question out of 10 wrong, you don't say, ah, it's worthless. You got them all wrong. No, he got 90%. Well, some parents do do that. You only got a 90. What's wrong with you? So why is God saying that if, if he fails the 10th test, people are going to say the rest are nothing? They're going to say, he, he, got, he batted 9 out of 10. He got a 90%. Why are they going to say it's nothing? It's a good question. Anybody have a suggestion, an answer? Why is, why is it so important what people will say? Ooh, ah. Mm-hmm. Even a better question. Why does God care about what people say? Yeah. Let them say whatever, you know. It's just... So anybody have an answer for that? I think that's even a better question. Why would God care what people will say? That, he's, that he has to come to Abraham and say, No, please, do me a favor and don't fail this test. Why would God care what people say? Okay, I will uh, suggest an answer. Maybe, maybe you'll uh, agree or disagree. Abraham is not just a regular guy. We know that. He's not just living his own personal life and being a righteous dude. There's lots of righteous dudes that we have in the Bible before Abraham. Noach, Chanoch, Shem, Aver. These are all righteous people. What's unique about Abraham is that he's a teacher. He's spreading the word. He's spreading the light. He's welcoming people in to his inn, to his orchard. He's feeding them. He's saying, you know, you got to bless God and so on and so forth. So he is a teacher of monotheism, of godliness, of morality in the world. And so God is not not worried what people are going to say. God wants Abraham to be a symbol of something to the people. He wants him to sh- he wants to show this is a person of quality. This is a person who has principles, who has, you know, the rabbi. They came to him. And they said, he asked him, you know, he says, uh, 
He said, these are my principles. And if you don't like them, I got other principles. But Abraham wasn't like that. He only had one set of principles. And God wanted the people to know that this is a man of principle. This is a man who lives his life meaningfully, not just, you know, living day to day of, you know, how do I, uh, how do I put bread on the table? Uh, how do I eat? How do I go on vacation? Uh, how do I impress my friends? He had a real meaningful life as a servant of God. And so God is saying, you did so well. People are so impressed that you, you passed nine out of 10 tests, that this is possible. And if you fail this, it ruins everything. And everything that, we, that you have been teaching the people is going to be lost. So I think I answered Hillel's question. Welcome anybody who uh, has any comment on that. We're left with my question of, well, why, would it be, uh, why wouldn't it be a 90%? Anyone have any comment on that or, or uh, what I said to answer Hillel's question? To address. Okay. So we'll get to the question that I asked. We'll, we'll leave that for another time. Um, uh, we'll go to A15. We'll go to A15. We typically half an hour, but since this is a fun topic, we'll go a little further and then we'll open it up again to any questions or comments in general that you might have. Let's go to the next Rashi. Esbincho. Again, to go back to Brad's question, with this Rashi that we just read, you also see the difference between Sodom and here. It's not that God is angry and he's punishing him and saying, you know, you sinned and I'm taking your son from you. God is asking him like a request. It's like, please, something that's like favor I need from you. All right, next Rashi. God says to him, take your son. So Rashi now pulling from the Midrash, from the Talmud, Tractate Sanhedrin, is giving you between the lines of what the verse is telling you, that there's a bigger conversation that's happening. So what's happening? God said to him, take your son. So Abraham responds, Shnei banim, yeshli, I've got two sons. <laughs> he didn't wait for God to end, to, to end the sentence. Or maybe God took a pause. So God says to him, I'm talking about your only son. Abraham responds, what do you mean? I got two only sons. This one is the only one to his mother, Ishmael. And this one is the only son to his mother, Isaac, to Sarah, Ishmael to Hagar. So God says to him, the one that you love. Abraham says, I love them both. I love Ishmael and I love Isaac. And so God tells him, I'm talking about Yitzchak. Now this, of course, right away raises questions for us. What is the meaning of this back and forth between God and Abraham? What's going on over here? God is like, you know, this is a prompting him. God is prompting him. He knows all this is going to happen. God is prompting him. He's showing that he has these two sons. He considers them both equal, both as, as Yahid. Um, he still considers even though the whole story that happened before, right, with Yishmael and he had to kick Yishmael out and so on and so forth, he still considers Yishmael as his son. He still considers him his only son in a sense. And he loves him. When, when you say the one you love to Abraham, he doesn't right away say, oh, you must mean Isaac. No, he loves them both. 
So this is being brought out, the connection between Abraham and Yishmael is a prelude to God's request that he, that he raise up Isaac. It almost as God is like almost telling him, I'm talking about Isaac. When I say your son, when I say your only son, when I say the one you love, I'm talking about Isaac. There's something deep going on over here. But let's see what Rashi says. Why didn't God tell it to him right away? So Rashi goes in a different direction of what I was giving you. Not, almost the opposite of what I was saying, not to confuse him suddenly, not to confuse Abraham suddenly, mix him up, so that lest his mind become distracted and bewildered. I think the, it's a little bit uh, light on that. It, it, it's almost like he would lose his mind. And also to endear the commandment to him and to render him for each and every, reward him for each and every expression. I think this leads, needs a little bit more study. What exactly this means. I have to look it up in Sanhedrin. What's going on over here? Anybody want to take a stab at what's going on in this Rashi? It's, it's, a, it's a mysterious one. Okay. Let's finish up over here. Let's finish the, um, this, this, this verse. Eretz Hamoriah. The land of Moriah. Where is that? Says Rashi. You don't have to wonder. I'll tell you what it is. It's Jerusalem. Yerushalayim. And so it says in Divrei Hayamim, Live Nesis Beis Hashem Yerushalayim It says in the book of Chronicles, one of the books of the prophets, to build the house of God, the temple, in Jerusalem at Mount Moriah. Now our sages explained why is Jerusalem called Mount Moriah? And if you ever went to preschool, you know that the teacher's name is Mora. Mora this or Mora that. Mora in Hebrew means a teacher. And so Moriah comes from the word to teach. And it's from this place, from Jerusalem, that teaching of Torah goes out to the Jewish people. That's why Jerusalem is called Mount Moriah. Now this has got to have some connection to, to the Akedah as well. But I don't see it readily. Onkelus, who is the, the convert who translated the Bible into Aramaic, and is printed in almost every Chumash, every, every book in Hebrew, of five books of Moses, he says, um, a land of service, alluding to the service of the incense that they used to offer in the temple, which contained myrrh, mor. So why is it called Moriah? Because it was a place where they offered incense, one of the ingredients of which was mor, the myrrh. These two interpretations of Moria have to have some connection to what's going to happen with this binding of Isaac. Nothing, there's no mistakes in Rashi. And it doesn't just give you information for information's sake. There's got to be a connection. Our research department will be looking into it. Maybe you can think of something. Let us know. Two more Rashis. V'ha'aleyu. Raise him up. Rashi tells us what I told you. We didn't say slaughter him. God never intended... For Abraham to slaughter his, his child. It's not like he changed his mind later. 
should bring him up to the mountain to prepare him as a as an offering. And once he he did it, he brought him up, put him up on the on the altar, said, okay, now I take him down. One of the mountains, Hakadish Baruch, and I mentioned when we read the verse that God doesn't specify; He's keeping it a little vague. One of the mountains over there, Hakadish Baruch Hu It Rashi tells us that God does this with the righteous; He makes them wonder. To increase their reward, and so we have earlier when God first speaks to Abraham. Go to the land that I will show you. He doesn't identify it. And also with Jonah, which we're going to read about on Yom Kippur, at Mincha, he says, Proclaim upon the proclamation that I will tell you. Because human nature, we want to know. It's part of, as we were talking about before, the chassid is a complete uh, conduit to God. and doesn't, doesn't have to know. God is, you're going to tell me? Okay, whatever it is, I'm going to take care, I'm going to do it. The need to know exactly what is going to be that comes from a, 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 a not not an egotistical place, but definitely a, a presence of, of an ego that I need to know what is the the, the 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 details. Whereas the righteous, God is showing that I don't, I'm not telling you exactly where it is, and they still have this dedication to okay, whatever it is, no problem, I'm 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 in. Wow, wow, it's amazing when you just open up the books and you start reading the Rashi. But you know, people look at Rashi, he's like, oh, this is what you teach the kids. And it's so much depth, so much going on over here. We have to really study this in depth. But for now, we will um, we will pause there and open it up to any questions and or comments. Quiet crowd tonight, Rabbi. I think it's a tough subject. Everybody's traumatized. I think we're all excited about the new shul opening, and so it's taking all of our focus and energy. Uh. So, 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 I do have a question about this. No one wants to talk about this. So he, so he gives like an interpretation that really he was just asking. I, uh, he was not really asking uh, I, uh, Abraham to sacrifice Isaac, but Abraham was under the kind of impression that that's what he was supposed to do. Right. So, I mean, and he didn't bother to correct his, you know, I mean, he, right. was, he, he really believed that uh, his son was going to be sacrificed throughout the whole experience. Right, it's a very good point. You know, what exactly is this little word trick that's going on over here, right? You know, if I think of just trying to amplify your question is, is God telling him just raise him up and Abraham made a mistake and God didn't bother to correct him? Like, so what's the point? Like, what, what is the point of this wordplay over here? Because um, Abraham obviously didn't catch it. He didn't catch that, that little subtlety there. And he thought, like you said, he thought God is saying that he should be slaughtered. And obviously God, Abraham has to think that God wants him to slaughter his child. Otherwise, there's no test involved. This is a test. That's how the whole story begins. It was after those words that God tested Abraham. And if he's just saying, bring him up on an altar, that's not much of a test. 
Anybody can do that. So clearly he wants Abraham to think that he means slaughter him. But still he expresses it in a way of raise him up. And he said, I never tell you to slaughter him, just take take him down. So so what so I think if I understand correctly, your question is, what is the point of saying raise him up? Like Well well that 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 too, but you know, why would he have Abraham I believe that he was gonna sacrifice and commit this horrific acting against his son his son and have it have him believe have him why didn't God correct correct him? Well, the, I think the answer to that is that this is a test. It, clearly, it's a test because that's how it starts off, and right. God and God it want is you know as as troubling it seems that for many people that it is. God is this is clearly the story. God is telling him to sacrifice his son. That's his impression, and that's the test. And he passes the test. And at the end of the story, God says, "Now I know that you're truly God fearing," and so on and so forth. And that's the story. So God wants, certainly needs him to think that he's being asked to slaughter his son. Otherwise, there's no test. Um, I, I got a thought on Sean. that. Um, so, yes, he did think that he was asked him to sacrifice his son. Obviously, he raised the sword or you know, he, made, he went to make the final act. Also, Isaac knew or thought the same thing, but was also on board with it. So not only was Abraham passing a test, but so was Isaac. That's right. And would the raise it up, raise him up maybe means two things. Number one is that God actually thought he would pass the test, the test and so would Isaac. He passed the other tests. His faith has never been wavering, and it hadn't wavered now, and he walked all the way there and all of this. And secondly, this test that Isaac is also passing is actually raising him up to, to God. Mm, very good. So, that's my, so, that's my, um, yes. so if I may kind of jump on what you're saying, Sean, I'm going to say is that God did something. Oh, you, may, you can't say God is clever. That That's, that's a foolish thing to say, but it's very clever in that there is two things going on. On the one hand, he is creating a test for Abraham by creating the impression that he wants him to slaughter his son. But at the same time, he's saying the, he's saying the truth. God is saying the truth of what he really wants. He wants him to be raised up on the altar. Raised up on the altar because that, that is the test. Once, once that's done, the test is over. And, and as Sean is saying, there is an elevation that's going to happen from this. We know that Isaac is considered a, a sacrifice. He has a special status. He's never allowed to leave the land of Israel. Um, you know, he only marries one wife, Rivka. There's the, he's treated like, you know, with like this, this, this holy object. Unlike the other, uh, Jacob and Abraham, who both leave the land of Israel. One goes to Egypt, one goes to, uh, they both go to Egypt, and one goes to, to Haran. Isaac is is a special. He's like this, this spiritual being, and that happens because he was brought up on the altar. So something does happen to Isaac because he was brought up on the altar. So I think that in this this um, this word here, vahaleu, which means to rise, to raise up, like you know when you make Aliyah to Israel, you 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 went up, 
It's a spiritual elevation. When you get called to the Torah, it's aliyah. You don't just walk up onto the stage. By the way, we're going to have a six-inch stage for the bima. So you're really going to have an aliyah. You're going up six inches. Some shuls, you go up three steps. Could be three feet. So this is going to be an aliyah experience for, for Abraham, for, for Isaac. Thank you, Sean, for, for, your, for your insight. Thank you, Brad, for that question. It's only through questions that we really learn. There's, there's two types of questions. There's one question where you get There's a question, you get an answer. It's like, what well, it didn't really make a difference to the whole story. It was a technicality. There's certain questions that when you ask the question, when, to get to the answer, you really the answer gives you a whole new, better understanding of the whole story. So I think these are questions that really um, you know, make us think and delve deeper into the story and give us a better appreciation of what's going on. That was great. Is it, did Isaac get a new name? Um, I don't think so. It's another thing, okay. which is interesting. You know, Abraham and, and Jacob both get different names and Isaac is just like, his name stays. Yitzchak, that's the name he got at his birth and it stays that way. Maybe he just had the highest level of faith like he could possibly have because he, Abraham was sacrificing his son, but Isaac was the sacrifice. Right. So I think that's, a, I mean, I actually said before that I think there's a greater sacrifice involved for the father, you know, because we do, you know, people do give up their lives for God. That's happened. There's. People give up their lives for other things. Give up their life for the country. Give me liberty or give me death. But to actually be in Abraham's position is, is, is in a way a greater challenge. But it, not to take away from Isaac. Uh, I don't know I can argue that. Yeah. I, yeah. It's, a, it's not to take away from Isaac. And as we saw in the first Rashi on this, that according to, in, from one perspective, this is what the test is all about. It's a test for Isaac. So that's a question then why? Yeah. But you're right. I, there's, I mean, I can't even imagine doing that. None of us can, yeah. right? Yeah. Well, gentlemen, this has been another wonderful delving into the depths of the Torah. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. And it gave us a lot of food for thought. I'm sure that the next time we meet, you guys will be overflowing with insights that you came up with. You'll be dreaming about this. You wake up in the morning, you better write this down. And share it on the Fabrengan chat or the Zoom chat, whatever insights you you came across. And um, I may even look up that Talmudic passage, Sanhedrin, because wow, there's so much, so much here. I love your energy, Rabbi. <laughs> really charged. Thank really you. are. Thank you. I appreciate it. <laughs>